Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, welcome to Profoundly Pointless. My name is Nick Vinzant. Coming up in this episode, ski jumping and snow activities. It's ski jumping is so beautiful because it's I don't know, it's like the world turns off and you're just out there in the elements by by yourself if you let go of the bar and you you get in your interim position you're going off that ski jump whether you like it or not and then once you let go you got to be ready to handle whatever happens so if the wind's not right you know you trust your coach with your life stand under the takeoff and you can hear the rush of the skier coming down and then you can like see them shoot right over your head and kind of start flying oh man well sometimes you hit bugs and that's always a fun one like if you get a little like bee splattered on your goggle you, you'd freak out a little bit i want to thank you so much for joining us if you get a chance like download subscribe share leave a review we really appreciate it, it really helps us out so our first guests are some of the best ski jumpers in the world and right now they're getting ready to try to represent the united states at the winter olympics this is Casey Larson and Nina Lucy. Did you set out to be a ski jumper or did this was this something that just happened? I mean, I started ski jumping when I was six years old. Started just kind of goofing around in the winters. It was a good way to like, you know, in, in between T-ball and, you know, flag football season per se. But then uh, pretty quickly it, it took off into something uh, a little bit bigger for sure. Uh, we could say that ski jumping found me. Um, no, I'm from Lake Placid, New York. We had the Winter Olympics in 1980 and 32. So grew up in an Olympic village, grew up on skis. So I was on skiing by age three. And so my brother and I tried it together and we basically were hooked ever since. So what is it about it? What do you like about it? It's ski jumping is so beautiful because it's, you have to find the edge of like risk but also control and when you're in it time slows down and you're you can feel the air and you can this like I don't know it's like the world turns off and you're just out there in the elements by by yourself it was the one thing that I wasn't just I didn't naturally pick up very well I didn't naturally pick up this like you know golf-esque like super technical sport very easily it was it was kind of tough for me and then it it just became this like addiction to just try and make sure I could you know, I could bring my arms in or I could be more aerodynamic or I could do all these things. And, you know, I really didn't realize how much I liked, you know, kind of diving into that, that, that side of the sport until like high school and even after high school. 
watching it on TV, I can never decide if this is a simple sport that's just go down a hill and jump or if there's something that's really technical about it and I don't see it. I call it, I mean, I call it an extreme version of golf in that sense. Like you can apply like, you know, the amount of video watching and the amount of, you know, you know, technical analysis, the amount of just overall um, like contorting your body is very similar to golf. I mean, in, in the sense of you just have to hit this tiny little thing, you know, 250 yards, whereas a ski jumper, you have to just, you are the ball, right? You are trying to, you know, take off so perfectly and so, so minute and the differences are so small that you just got to, it's, it's very applicable in that sense to the slumps and, and the highs and the lows of, of those two sports where sometimes you're feeling it, sometimes the rhythm's there. Um, and then other days it's, it's definitely not. So what are you trying to do? Are you trying to go faster into the jump? Are you trying to time the jump right? Is it when you're in the air? Like what's the, what's, what's the goal there? The takeoff portion is pretty critical. The speed, um, it's a designated start spot for everybody. So um, yeah, I mean, we spend time working on how to keep your skis super straight and super like in the middle of the track. So there's less friction and so that you're going as fast as possible and obviously wax and everything. But the takeoff portion is the simple move from like the in run position like the squat type thing into the air and that's where you're propelling yourself into the flight and if you can do that you want to put as much power down onto like down on the on the takeoff but also move yourself kind of project yourself forward out over your skis so that's really important and so that the timing aspect of that and the force that you're putting down but also um, you don't want to be super powerful and like use a lot of muscles and then you're shooting too far up and then your skis are coming at you. So then, so you need to shoot yourself out basically perfectly and reduce the amount of drag. And then when you're in the air, you're trying to surf right above the air and kind of pull away from the hill because it, the takeoff is actually shooting you down. So it's at minus 12 degrees. So it's not launching you up. It's pointed. I never noticed that it is. It's pointed I guess it's not a ramp, is it? No, and that's what everyone thinks. They think it's like shooting you straight up, but it's actually shooting you at the ground. You've just like changed my entire perception of ski jumping. My entire, I always thought that like, oh yeah, there's a little ramp on the end and then they go up. Like they try to jump off the ramp. With the takeoff, with the takeoff power, you're going up because you're, you're literally jumping off of the ground. So then, so then you're coming up like that, but you're creating that you're not using, you're not using the, the jump. Yeah. And anybody who's ever like tried to run downhill and jump off of a downhill, that's way more complicated than kind of jumping off flat ground or like jumping off of an uphill. Yeah. I haven't, I haven't thought about that, but yeah, where you would want to jump forward, but still down so that you can kind of keep your speed going. From when you kind of jump to when you land. How long, how far are we talking? 250 meters through the air. It's, it's, that's, that's a world record. My, my, I've gone 216 and a half meters. On the same day, the world record was set. So my, my personal best was outshined for sure. But uh, 216 meters, that's still almost 230 yards, 240 yards. You're still talking like a couple of city blocks. Well, you're yeah. flying over a couple of city blocks. You're, like, you're, flying, over, you're flying over... You're flying from... You, so you take off through one goalpost, 
and then you go through two more goalposts and then you land at the 50 yard line, right? That's insane when you think about it that way, that you're essentially flying over two and a half football fields. Okay. This is my armchair analysis of it. So watching it, like, all right, you jump right at the end, right? Like, how hard is that? Why is it difficult not to, like, jump at the right time every time? I don't know. I've been trying to figure that out for, like, 10 years now, and I still haven't. So I think that's my biggest issue is just, like, why why – I always, you know, timing is probably the biggest one. Just like that takeoff, the minute, like bringing your chest up a little bit or just not getting all the power down, whether that be in your shin, like like just not being in the correct position, um, not putting 100% of the power that you possibly can put down, down uh, and getting into that aerodynamic position, uh, you're going to be, you're just screwed right off the bat. So, you know, you really can't bring your chest up at all. You really got to just stay low and then just use your legs and go and at the end of the day it is a simple sport and that's kind of the, the thing is the older you get the easier it looks and, and that's the whole point of the sport is those professionals the guys that are winning the olympics and even me sometimes i make it look really easy uh whereas and that that's the whole point of the sport is is i think i want people to say that i want people to think it's an easy sport because if they're watching me when they say that that just means i'm i'm doing it right when you kind of actually get into the air what are you trying to do once you're in the air that's like what makes a good ski jumper good is like when he's in the air, when she's in the air, uh, you just kind of naturally know what to do. Uh, you know, you're trying to, you know, extend and pull away from the hill and just kind of, you know, glide on that cushion of air that you've created for yourself. And are you like, you're trying to achieve a certain like angle though and things like that, right? Yeah. So like it's when you're driving down the highway later today, or, you know, if, if you're in your car, pop, pop the window open and stick your hand out and you'll notice like if you have it down here, it's going to dive straight into the ground. If you bring it up here, your hand's going to go back to the back of the window. But then you're going to find this little happy medium where your hand just wants to go straight up. And that's the body position we're trying to find. With our skis and our body, we're just trying to be not too far aerodynamic, but not also not too far back. Just something where that wind will just bring us, bring us right up. It's a great analogy, honestly. Like, I perfectly understand it right now. Like, oh, that is correct. So does that mean, like, you spend a lot of time in car rides sticking your hand out the window? Definitely. Yeah. Even, even, even today, even when it's like 25 degrees out in park city, I'll pop it over <laughs> just to test it out, just to get a feel for it. What kind of, like when you, when you look at your training, like what kind of training are you generally doing for it? It depends on the time of year. So the spring we're usually, we're improving our general aerobic capacity. So a lot more of running and that kind of thing. So that's like basic stretching follows you through the whole year. A lot of core follows you through the whole year. We try to build up more muscle with um, squats and that type of thing more in the summer. And then in the winter, less reps, but still high weight to keep the strength. Um, a lot of hurdles, coordination, so ladders, balance, slacklining. Uh, generally, um, also some things like we do usually two days of in the summer of wake surfing. So you like have a nice feeling of where, how your feet are moving. And so kind of, cause in, in jumping, you need to like feel the balance and like be able to be soft without like, so you can, if there are different conditions on the snow, if it's like, gets really slow, if you're like super rigid in your position, that'll throw you off. But if you can absorb it, then that's, that's really important. So, okay. 
how much control do you have to have if you're coming up to it? And I'm a big kind of math numbers person. So, right. So imagine that you're going down there and you could give a hundred percent everything you've got into the jump. Can you do it that way? Or do you have to kind of hold back a little bit so that you can land this thing? Well, you're, it's not really an explosive movement. It's like, like a tennis swing or something. Like if you try to really like slam it, it's not going to be as efficient as if you do a really long, smooth, but also strong stroke. And so that's basically what we're trying to do. So your best jumps don't feel like you're trying that hard, but you're just maximizing the, the output by using like one time this one coach told me, that in ski jumping, you want to use as little, like as few muscles as possible. And I was like, like, what do you mean? And he was like, well, all the extra stuff that you're adding, that's like, that's not helping you. He's like, it's like um, in an orchestra when you can hear them playing and it sounds like one, one voice and you hear them and it's perfect. But some of like at a lower level, you can hear all the separate instruments and they aren't exactly in tune. And so that's when the other, the extra muscles are involved. So when you can get everything into that one singular sound, that is when things are like ideal. Are you ready for some harder slash listener submitted questions? Sure. Let's get to it. Strangest thought you've ever had while in the air. Oh man. Well, sometimes you hit bugs and that's always a fun one. Like if you get a little like bee splattered on your goggle, you'd freak out a little bit. But I will say when I was a little kid, I do remember letting go of the bar on a smaller hill. So I was totally okay. But I remember being like, I didn't put my bindings in. And the way the ski jumping boot works is you kind of slam this little, this little piece of uh, plastic into the back of the boot that allows your, your heel to come off the ski a little bit. And I was like, I didn't put that in. So I remember jumping into the air and just one ski went. Whoop. And it was, it was the most great I've ever been in my life. It was, it was wild. I felt like I was, I was okay. Thankfully, you know, you get learn you learn how to falls at a young age. You uh, definitely make enough mistakes where you can fall safely. Basically just keep your knees straight in the air and you're going to be totally fine. Your body's going to stay relatively straight. But I was, I was freaking out. <laughs> I mean, one time there was, there was like a little, there was a, a groundhog that was running across the landing hill and I could see it below me. While I was flying, so I thought, oh, I hope I don't hit that. <laughs> Will you sometimes like jump and kind of veer off to one side or veer off to one side in the air? Or do you pretty much just go straight? Well, your body's never symmetric, but you also naturally want to go straight. So, so you find these ways to correct. So my, my skis are never symmetrical, but I go straight, if that makes sense. But obviously wind, whatever conditions, whatever it may be, you end up having some jumps where you go to one side more or less. But those hills are massive allow for like a pretty big amount of play uh so you're never too worried about like you know landing on the other you know landing in the grass or landing you know off the hill but uh, but yeah you you learn how to deal with it and you end up if you do it enough times you're not gonna get too scared by it so you end up knowing just knowing how to deal with it i guess for my kind of understanding so imagine like zero is completely straight how much will you drift to one side are we talking like five meters 10 meters like oh you i've seen a guy drift like 30 meters to one side yeah i mean there's definitely athletes that are known for it um and we say the wind's the wind's better on the right side of the hill so you, you go to the right side of the hill that's not true but you see some athletes just do it um and they're totally fine and then they, they have a play of like you know 10 15 meters so those hills are really big at the landing hill uh so you 
they're allowed to do it and they're totally fine. They end up being, you know, they're nothing, you know, changes. But at the end of the day, I, I always think like, well, that's just extra meters. I could be flying straight, but I'm not flying to the right, you know? So I just think like the straighter, the better, but uh, obviously there's, there's athletes out there that, that break those rules and, and end up, you know, winning competitions, doing it. But How far up above where you jump is where you usually land. Yeah. The hills are steep. So, so you're definitely not like flying across flat ground. Uh, it's not like water ski jumping that you might have seen on TV where it's like they're, they're just flying across the water and then landing completely flat. We have this big hill we're able to kind of coast on and coast down. So uh, that's why we're able to land so far. That's why we're able to like be relatively safe at the same time too. you know, knock on wood. Uh, injuries are pretty limited in ski jumping. You obviously see, you see some knee injuries and something like that. But for the most part, the impact is super low. The only the only sport at the Olympics that's safer than ski jumping uh, at that level is curling. Um, but yeah, that's kind of why it's, it's so safe because we're just following the super steep hill, just kind of flying along it. And then, uh, it does start to flatten out at some point and that's called the K point. That's when I refer to the size of the hills, like the K10, K20, that just means the hill flattens out at 120 meters. Uh, and then oh, after that 120 meter mark, you have to go past that if you want to win a competition, um, going past the K points, just kind of proving that you're able to break physics, right? You're you're kind of uh, you're a good enough athlete that you're able to just go past that point and fly uh, and fly past that that flat portion of the of the hill. So, what you're landing on flat ground, or are you landing on the slope? Well, so it's such a gradual decline in terms of the rate. The radius is so long and so big on any hill that even if you go past the point where it starts to flatten out, you're still landing on pretty steep ground. Oh, I see what you're saying, right? So, like, there's the steep part, there's the K point, and then there's the kind of steep part, basically. Yeah, totally. Okay. That makes sense to me. Have you ever backed off of one? You, you really can't, right? So you're in these, you, when you let go of this, the bar, right? When you hop on the ski jump and get, and get ready to go, if you let go of the bar and you, you get in your interim position, you're going off that ski jump, whether you like it or not. And you just have the ritual that you trust that you, that you can never second guess, right? You check your bindings, you check your equipment, you check your goggles, you get on the bar, you'd do it again. And then once you let go, you got to be ready to handle whatever happens. So if the wind's not right, you know, you trust your coach with your life pretty much is how it works. So uh, if, if your coach flags you, you know that everything's safe. Everything's going to be totally fine. I just got to do my job. When, when you go, though, okay, so we talked to a, a, a freestyle cliff jumper who said that, like, look, every time I go, I'm still scared. Are you still scared every time you do it? Or is this like, it's Tuesday, man. I've done this thousands of times. I don't think I'd, I don't think I'd still do it if I wasn't still scared. I think the, uh, the adrenaline and, and just that little pickup is, is what keeps you honest and what keeps you focused. Uh, so for me, I've, I've never been a daredevil. I've never, like, even when I was a kid and moved up to a bigger hill, it took me so long to go to actually let go and actually deal with it. I was never this fearless little kid. It's not super, like, it's not like every jump. I'm like, oh my God, what am I doing? But it is still like every once in a while you get up there and you're like, Either if it's windy or a new hill or some something's weird, you're like, oh, this is no, this is serious. Like, <laughs> I need to like <laughs> know what I'm doing. Like, this isn't a joke. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna ask you this question: Have you ever thought of flapping your arms to potentially go far farther during the ski jump? Oh man. Well, people try. There's, you know, there's like nervous twitches athletes have, but uh, I'll throw my teammate out of the bus, Kevin Bickner. Um, if you look at some of the videos of him up, he flaps his arms pretty bad, uh, but it doesn't add anything. I think it's just a, uh, 
I don't I think I think it's just a twitch. I, I don't really know why people end up moving their hands or moving their arms a little bit more than others, but uh I usually pray stay pretty stoic in the air and, and don't move too much, but uh but hey, you know, maybe, maybe I'll try it. I don't know. Um I appreciate I appre- I definitely appreciate the um advice insight. Um I have like this was last week and I was trying to find I was training, so I'm like trying to get ready for the Olympic season, and I'm trying to find exactly how far away from my body my arms are. So like I was having them probably like three inches away from from my side, so that I could maximize the surface area, because that was like enough like the dry like it wouldn't the air wouldn't kind of come between my arm and my body, so just kind of like get a little bit bigger. But I wasn't feeling as much as I wanted to, so then. While I was flying, I was like moving my arms in and out, like looking for the perfect um, surface. And my coach was like, what are you doing? And I was like, well, I just wanted to like maximize what I could do. And he's like, okay, all right. Okay. Whatever you need to do. (laughs) So it kind of sounds like the answer is yes. (laughs) Yeah, but you want, yeah, you want to know exactly where to to be and to keep it in that position so you can kind of. Can you make it, can you, can this be a full-time living? Yeah, um, it isn't at this point. Definitely not. I mean, even as an Olympic athlete and, you know, obviously trying to make another one, uh, it's definitely not a full-time living. It's not something I can, you know, maintain for another four or five years without getting a lot better at the sport. Uh, But if you're top, I'd say top 10, top 20, um, if you're on the World Cup circuit consistently and you're consistently getting like top 30 results, you're able to do okay. Uh, you're able to get the sponsors that like watching it. It's the biggest uh, winter sport in Europe. I mean, viewership wise. So, how big is it overseas? Mass. I'd say it's. Um, we fight with. Uh, there's so many disciplines inside of ski racing, and there's only one discipline in ski jumping. So that's kind of how we cheat the viewership numbers, uh, if that makes sense. We fill up stadiums pretty pretty much on the regular before COVID with forty thousand people. Well, how come that hasn't like? Well, why not in the U.S. Right? Like, how come that hasn't hit here? I don't know. I really don't know when, you know, as a, it's definitely better in person, right? Better than it could ever be on TV. Uh, ski jumping in person is pretty, pretty darn cool. Um, you get, you definitely get a little bit more respect for just how absolutely insane it is and how far these athletes are going. Would, if I was to show up to like an event, would I be shocked at how steep and big things are? Or would I look at it and be like, ah, oh, that's not as, that's not as steep as I thought it was seeing it on TV. I think you'd be more impressed in person, honestly. I think I think uh, TV does it some justice, but not enough justice. I think the best way to see ski jumping is to get as close to the action as possible, live, of course. So if you, one cool thing is if you're obviously not everybody can do this, but if you stand under the takeoff and you can hear the rush of the skier coming down, and then you can like see them shoot right over your head and kind of start flying and where you can see the you can feel the speed and then also when you're in the air it makes this cool like i don't know it's a really special sound because you are almost like an airplane so you can hear the the air on on the skier but on tv you can't really like that those sensations don't really come through who who's kind of that like who's the michael jordan of uh ski jumping I mean, this girl, Sarah Takanashi, the Japanese girl, um, 
has been like really good for a really long time. There was also a Japanese guy named Noriaki Kasai who was one of the oldest jumpers and he actually like transitioned through every different ski jumping style. So he actually used to jump in the old style where your skis were like straight and then he did the V and like has gone to I don't know five or six Olympics. And wow. It's like still competitive got a medal in uh yeah, but that's very rare. And, like, you have to have a body that can sustain that. Is there is there a country that, like, uh-oh, here comes the Bulgarians or whatever. Is there a country that dominates? The, uh, the, power, the, power, uh, the power countries are definitely Norway, uh, Poland, Austria, Germany. Uh, Finland's up there. Scandinavian countries are big. Um, oh this is the last one best ski jumping scene in a movie or tv show there was like the eddie the eagle movie that came out a few years ago but that wasn't like super cool ski jumping um you know what's cool is um like i was training in slovenia before and two of the guys i was training with they were like stunt doubles so they had to learn how to like jump bad to be in the movie and they like went to the premiere and stuff so that was cool. So they liked it. Um, but how, uh, how do you jump bad and still like not get seriously injured? <laughs> yeah, that's the thing is it's like totally about the body awareness and being able to control exactly what you're doing. And so I want to thank Casey and Nina so much for joining us. If you want to connect with them, We have linked to them on our social media accounts. We're profoundly pointless on Instagram and Twitter, and we have also included their information in the episode description. Okay, now let's go ahead and bring in John Shaw. How good are you in a snowball fight? I'm pretty good. I I would rate myself, we're going on a generic rating scale. I would say, I'm going to say nine. No, no, you're not a nine. I am a nine. I would peg you from 40 yards away. Put one right up your nose. First of all, that's not true. You can't throw a snowball 40 yards. I guarantee you can't throw a snowball 40 yards. And I would be willing to bet a week's paycheck on the fact that you can't throw a snowball 40 yards. I would be surprised if you could throw 20 yards, to be honest with you. I mean, if it's a well-packed snow slash ice ball, you can chuck those things. You can't have a rock inside of it, though. You can't, like, there's no, it's got to be straight up legit. There can't be any performance-enhancing substances involved. (laughs) I mean, everyone knows you can't, the best time to have a snowball fight anyways is when the snow is so heavy. I mean, you don't want to go out there with some sissy-ass snow, the white fluffy stuff. Okay, how how far do you legitimately honestly think you can throw a snowball? Because you can't throw it 40 yards. Yeah, I would, I bet you I could throw it 60 yards. I can throw a baseball pretty far. Right. A snowball and a baseball are not the same thing. Even if you make them the same size, they don't have the same weight or density to it. Snowball's going to come up, come apart, man. You can't wing a snowball 60 yards. Zero percent chance that you can do that. I feel like you're just feeling a little insecure about this. What were you going to say? What's your What do you rate yourself? Oh, maybe like a six or a seven at the very most. I don't have I don't have a great arm. I, I would say that I'm average athletic ability in terms of my arm strength. I'm a little bit more agile than most people, though. 
of the same athletic ability. So I would be a better dodger than I would be a thrower. And because I don't have a great arm, I've had to be accurate over the years. So maybe my natural humbleness keeps me at a below or seven. But if somebody else was to rate me like a 7.3, I'm not going to have a big argument with it. I could see that. There's no way you're a nine. And the fact that you claim to be a nine makes me feel like you're probably a four. Like you're the guy who thinks he's great at a snowball fight, gets out there, slips, and falls down. No way, man. I, I'm, I mean, I, I, I'm very good at dodgeball, and dodgeball and snowball fights are legit the same thing. Why are you good at dodgeball? I don't imagine you being particularly adept at the dodging section of dodgeball. Yeah, I mean, you can. I mean, all you have to do is be smart with with most things. I believe doesn't matter if you're 500 pounds, but if you can anticipate someone throwing the ball at you and you can move. It's not that hard to dodge, but either way, I'm pretty good at dodgeball because I, I can put some nasty curve on the ball. Like I can start it. You thinking it's going to go over your head and it hits you in the shin. Like I'm pretty good at that. Okay. Oh, all right. The fact that you have a strategy and that you're able to kind of articulate it that like that makes me think that you've thought about this, that you might be much better <laughs> than other people would anticipate, but it's just a, it's just such a mix, you know, it's such a risk reward with you because maybe you have a great strategy, but you think you can throw a snowball 60 yards, but you clearly cannot. It has to have some kind of hardness to it. Obviously it's going to come apart, but if you can get a good wet snowball and I said 40, I, I'm going to go for, I'll stick with 40 yards. I'm pretty sure I could get one 40 yards. I would honestly be very impressed if you could get one over like 32. <laughs> be like, ooh, I'm going to look this up really quick. I mean, I am the kind of person, though, that will like ball up snow when I'm outside by myself and just chug it at stop signs. I didn't really find any answer on how far you can throw a snowball. But there is a Wikipedia entry for snowball fight. Like, who the, who's looking up what doesn't know what a snowball fight is and has to go to Wikipedia to find out? Maybe they want to know the origins of it. I don't know where a snowball fight started. But who would know? Right? There's like, <laughs> there's no, I, mean, do, the, the, I get that's one of those things that the first time that that ever happened and is documented is not the first time that that ever happened. I mean, somebody thinks they have the answer. So I'll, I'll let them post it on Wikipedia. I just can't believe the fact that we, like some things don't need to be in Wikipedia. Like who's reading? What is a snowball fight? Let me read about it so I understand what it is. <laughs> Listen, I give people credit if they want to read something other than TikTok and Instagram stories. Oh, here we go. Here <laughs> we go. All right. That's it. Let's, let's just move on before you go on your rant about the kids today and start screaming at clouds. <laughs> <laughs> uh is that it was that was that the beginning of the, the segment yeah it was and then you ruined it when you started getting angry about people having fun on the internet i i didn't get angry if anything it's probably best <laughs> just to move on uh to some people that actually matter uh let's see we'll start off with um uh brandon alcantar appreciate you uh chris mahoney joshua chavez ron lane uh, CJ Pizzuro, Scott Robinson, Simona Kitchen, Charlie Bear, Jada Michelle, and Patrick Shanahan. Tip of the hat to you, my, I assume my Irish lad. 
I, I want to add one in. Uh, Angel sent us a very nice Instagram message about listening to the show. Appreciate people like that. It's it really means a lot. Also, Ron is a great name. That's there's not enough Rons in the world. <laughs> mm, I mean, it's old school, man. I mean, it's I'm fine with it, Ron. I mean, I like Ron a lot better than Ronald. It's like Chris is a lot better yeah, than yeah, Christopher, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? Right, right. Yeah, yeah. The shortened version of a name is generally always better than the longer version of that name. But Jimmy is better than James. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Hmm. Well, it's the same number of letters, though, so you can't really say that it's a shortened version. That doesn't make any sense how Jimmy is short for James when it's exactly the same number of letters. That makes no sense. You might have just started to crack Pandora's box. I got a couple of doozies for you. Uh, <laughs> uh, all right. What's more awkward on a first date being stood up or going through the entire date thinking you have a chance and being the only person that thinks that I have never had a date in which a second date was something that I would have liked and it did not happen. I've had dates before where I was like, ooh, this this isn't working. And both of us kind of acknowledged that like, okay, this this, this is the last time for this, right? I was like, oh, yeah, 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 right? <laughs> but I've never wanted a date with a woman and not been able to get that second date. Now, I've blown it after the second date, of course, <laughs> but never on, never by that amount of time. So I would say having to be stood up. Yeah, I would – well – I would probably say going through it, which I had. Well, I've had three instances where I've started the date and they haven't gotten past dinner being served. Uh, <laughs> so from having been on that end of things, I can I can probably tell you that being set up is just like, well, I didn't know them anyways. Having them actually physically there and then leaving <laughs> is a lot worse, in my opinion. Ah, oh, I wish I could have been in that restaurant and just been there watching you as this woman just got up halfway through the dinner and just left. And then it happened three times. Yeah. What? Yep. Well, okay. What is the commonality in those three occurrences? Right. Like, did you did you Photoshop your photo? Did you put out some bad info and maybe catfished somebody a little bit? Were you obnoxious <laughs> during the dinner? Like, what's the commonality that made three women leave halfway through a dinner with? I mean, this is probably going to sound pretty narcissistic, but I don't think it was me in a sense. I think it was clearly. the clearly the kind of person that I was going on the dates with, I think. Well, that's still you, right? Like you made the choice. Well, that's not necessarily fair for a man because a man will pretty much go with anything that like, <laughs> look, if anything that bites on the line, he's going to try to reel in, whether that's a 20 pound beautiful bass or a <laughs> garbage tire he's gonna try to reel that sucker in yeah that was an interesting moment time of my life but it's all good we're moved on okay all right let's, let's, let's move on and then uh, i'm just curious to know uh what is the maximum of time uh amount of seconds to you that you sit behind somebody who's you know it's a green light and they're not going anywhere what's the maximum amount of time you'll wait before you start getting antsy maybe put on the horn maybe start nudging them Oh, I almost never honk at somebody 
that's not going because I'm usually not by my nature in that big of a hurry. And I'm always generally just too curious to be like, how long is this person going to sit here? I want to (laughs) say, I don't know if it's happened, but I could see it happening that I've sat behind somebody for a whole light cycle just to see if they ever would go. Not at a busy intersection, right? Not at one where like, oh, fuck, I don't hit this light. I'm going to be here forever. But if it's just light on a quick turn one, like, I wonder how long they would, like, would, how long is this going to take? And I'll just sit there. <laughs> um, I usually get pretty antsy, but I usually get antsy because of the people behind me. So I, but mm. I never honk. I'll, I'll just, I've had many instances where I'll start to go and then they'll start to go. And then it's a weird standstill. Like the parking lot issue. Now what do I do? See, I don't know. I don't understand that though, that if you're antsy about the people behind you, then one of them will honk. Right, like they can do your work for you is how I look at it. Like, why should I honk? The person behind me is going to honk, and then I also am not the huge asshole because you can tell how many car lengths behind you a honk comes from. You know if it came from the car right behind you, or if it came from like a couple hard, a couple cars back. So why should I be the asshole when somebody else can do it? And that person won't see that car, so it's a basically a mutually beneficial situation to let somebody else honk. If you can make that work, then yes. But, you know, maybe, maybe I just drop the ball. I'm not prepared. I'm unprepared in those situations. Yeah. Listen, I, I don't really I don't really know what else to talk about in, in terms of our current events. Then, uh, I mean, we got to talk about Aaron Rodgers, right? Oh, I was thinking the Astro World concert. The Aaron Rodgers yeah, thing I, is kind of incredible, right? Both I of those are the, ones where the you're Astro like, World stuff, too. Okay, give me your thoughts on Aaron Rodgers then. I mean, technically he didn't he lied, but he, he did it like the most white liarish way that you could do it. Because when a reporter asks him if he was vaccinated, he says, "Yes, I'm immunized or I'm immunized," right? Technically he It's was truthful, but he wasn't truthful at the same time. The, if that's so, indeed how it went down. Yeah, I don't understand the thing is like people always find out in those media situations, right? Like if you're a big time public figure like that, somebody is always going to find out. So why lie about it in the first place? Like why just because that that's what bothers me about the situation, right? However you feel about it, just tell the truth about it, right? Because he sure. clearly knew that saying it in the way that he like he didn't want to tell the truth because he knew saying it saying like no, I'm not was going to be bad for his public image. So he tried to weasel around it and made the situation worse. Like it's never, it, it's it's the old thing, right? It's never the lie. It's always the cover up to it that gets people in trouble. Just keep shooting yourself in the foot, Aaron Rodgers. He has turned into a strange, you could always see those signs with him where you heard about like situations with his family. And then like mm-hmm. he's just turned into a, a strange guy. Right. Even if even if you are Aaron Rodgers number one fan, you gotta admit in the last year, like the hair, like he's growing <laughs> the hair. Like he's just turning into an odd dude. Is he going down the Charlie Sheen route? Remember Charlie Sheen from about ten dude. years ago? Yeah, he's I don't know if he's going that way. He's going some direction. That concert thing though is crazy. Have you ever been Yeah see that's to me why like I don't go to the front. Do you go to the front at concerts? No. I don't even 
and and if I'm not mistaken, that was outside, right? So like it was just kind of on a long stretch of grass or asphalt or something. Yeah, but it was it was an yeah, it was an outdoor concert, but it was still like the kind of mat mosh pit kind of thing. Yeah, I'm yeah. I've I'm I I'm I probably would never go and I don't uh if I if I do go to a thing like that um, I either stand off to the side or I'm in the back. Like I don't, um, but then again, like how many concerts, apparently this is a well-known thing that happens at his shows, I guess, from what I was reading. Um, he, I, he apparently encourages it. Like, obviously like people aren't dying at his concerts all the time, but like he encouraged his people to kind of get rowdy, which is, mm-hmm. which is cool, right? Like some of those concerts are really awesome if you're down for that. But also I think that, you got to be like, who, how does, how do, how do you go to a bunch of concerts and not kind of spot the signs of that happening? Right. Like you would sure. think like, Oh, that's getting a little out of control. There's a lot of hate going towards him. Uh, Cause he was on stage and he saw things happen or they, people think he saw things happen and he just kept going. He didn't say, Hey, hold up. He didn't stop. But you know, if you're him on the stage, uh, I've been on a stage like that, obviously never a performer. But, I mean, you really can't see that far out into the crowd. I mean, I would think he knew something had happened. But I I don't know if I want to put the blame on him for not, like, trying to control the situation by telling people to stop or, you know, stopping to play music. And I feel like he's going to end up taking 98% of the blame just because it happened at his concert. Without knowing anything more about it than what we know on Monday November 8th. Right. Like it doesn't seem to me like something that would be his fault, but somebody who either organized the venue or his manager or like somebody should have noticed what was happening and told him to stop. He he shouldn't have been the one that noticed, but somebody should have noticed. Somebody somewhere knew what was going on and they could have informed him if he didn't know what was happening. I, you know, Either way, it's it's tragic, man. Now, the other thing that kind of struck me about the whole situation was that a a ten year old is in critical condition, and I I don't know a lot about Travis Scott, but I I believe he's pretty hip hop. I don't know, like I I, I probably wouldn't take my ten year old to the front of a hip hop concert where that could happen. I, I don't know. No, I wouldn't weird be taking a ten year old in there. My wife is a big person like she likes to go to the front of the concerts and she's a big concert person and she's maybe five foot one and a hundred pounds. And every time she wants to do it, I'm like, what the fuck are you thinking? Like you're going to get <laughs> smashed in there. Huh. All right. Do you have your candle of the month? Cause you weren't ready last year. We unprepared. <laughs> I, supposed to be me. the first, first episode of every month that he's supposed to have the candle I'm, of the month. Been doing this for 24 I'm, months. Was it ready? Oh my see God. If he can make it's... up for it. It's been so long. Well, I'm going to – I do have my candle of the month, and uh, and I got to tell you, it's one that um, – well, I'm just going to go in there. It's candy apple pine, and it is perfect for the weather changing into cold permanently and Thanksgiving. Candy apple pine. It starts off candy apple, but then goes into a pine flavor. Burns for 60 hours. Mm. Mm. How much does it cost? What does it cost? 
Uh, you can probably get it for uh, twenty nine ninety nine. Bed, Bath, Dang and Beyond, or Bath and Body Works. That. That yeah. That's an expensive candle to me. What's well, big? Sixty hour candles are like the ones you see in the big glass, uh, you know, the big glass jars, and they're they're, they're good that's size. That's for, that's for the professionals, huh? Okay. All right. That's when you really know what you're doing with a candle. All right. Candy apple pine. Well, I'm glad to hear that. I bet your interesting hobby is really, really good. Well, don't worry. I'm going to send okay. you some, some shoe shop. So that's the candle you're getting for Christmas. That's fine. I can't smell. doesn't fucking matter to me what it is. It could be black licorice. Burn for 10,000 hours. It doesn't fucking mean anything to me. All right. Are you ready for our top five? I am, yeah. Let's go. Uh, so our top five is top five snow activities. What's your number five? Uh, so I, I, I realized when trying to come up with a list, I haven't done very many snow activities. Um, hmm. But okay. I, I put together a, a list that uh, we'll, we'll see here. Um, so my number five is I have snowmobiling. Oh, I forgot about snowmobiling. That looks fun. Looks fun, but only if you can like rent them at the site. Like, I don't want to have to get them, load them up into a fucking truck, drive them all over the place. But snowmobiling looks like it could be a really good time and a way to get yourself really lost and die in the woods. <laughs> it is. It's 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 fun the two times I've been. Okay. Mine is kind of like snowmobiling, but it's like the uh, much cheaper alternative to snowmobiling, which is driving around in an empty parking lot in the snow. <laughs> That's fun as hell. Are are you are you towing somebody, or are you just driving no, dude, around? No, you're just bad. Not, yeah, dude, you're just badassing around in an empty parking lot. Like you can do donuts, you can rip up the tires, get up going, slide around. Oh, that's fun. Got to be an empty parking lot though. You don't want to like accidentally kill somebody, <laughs> or or yourself. But it's it's fine. Anyway, what's your number four? Um, I have ice skating. Oh, that's what I have too. I have ice wow. skating as my number. Yeah, we. For those okay. who don't okay. listen to this podcast on the regular, it's it's not often that Nick and I have the same anything. So it's a rarity. No, especially not in the same number. It's probably my favorite thing to do that I'm not good at at all because my body is not made to be on ice skates or rollerblades. No, John. Yeah, for people who have never seen John, John is shaped like a pear, and a pear is not. <laughs> imagine like an. Imagine. Well, a reverse pair, actually. A reverse pair. Like, turn a pair yeah, upside, upside down, down, and that's an upside-down pair. And then imagine, like, putting ice skates on that pair. And it's just, yeah, it's <laughs> not conducive to your body type. Yeah, it's not. Okay. All right. Uh, all right. Well, then uh, I guess we're on to my number three, uh, which I, I have. I have <laughs> I have just going for walks in the winter air. Jesus Christ. Yep. I'm going to – I'm just going to quit. I'm just going to leave. For people who don't know John, John is a wonderful man, but he is a pansy. He is a sentimental pansy. <laughs> when you get right down to it, right? You I, know who you are. Like, I would just like to sit with my wife on a good walk in the snow and look at the leaves while we sip on <laughs> cider. Think back on our children and grandchildren. I, like That is his heart's desire. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like a good time. My number three is a snowball fight. So yeah, I mean, I'm what happened is those are fun, but like I don't do them enough. I mean, you know, you're too busy going on sentimental walks, yeah, well, watching that's Hallmark why. movies, 
Well, you know, my mother-in-law loves Hallmark, so leave her alone. Do, do you have Do you have a dedicated cup for hot cocoa? No, actually. Okay. Right. I can't remember the last time I I had hot cocoa. Okay. Is that what you call I it? Is hot thought... cocoa? I always call it hot chocolate. I mean, it's just no. But I felt like you were the kind of person that would have a hot cocoa cup. <laughs> like you had it so much that you and your wife would just be like hot cocoa tonight, and you'd be like, "Yeah, I'm feeling hot cocoa tonight." Yeah, we're gonna go yeah. make some hot cocoa in the bedroom. All right. Uh... Right. Which is uh, just holding yeah. each other's hands and talking about their day. I mean, listen, man, when you get to be our age, you know, That's what else like, are you going to do? I have reached an age in which I have been honestly too lazy for sex. Like, oh, God. <laughs> it's like I can sit here and watch you, TV or go go have sex. Which what am I going to do? Well, it depends. Like, if am I going to have to do a lot of the work? Because I don't really feel like that. Like, if you just want to. <laughs> hop on top of the car and go for a ride. That's one thing. Like I'll sit there and do nothing, but I'm got, there's times like, I'm, I'm tired. I today. think everyone can relate to you. Okay. All right. What's your number two then? Uh, so I have um, ice fishing as my number two. Mm, I've never been ice fishing. Seems like a great it, time though. It is depending who you're with. My number two is skiing. I mean, skiing's a great time, right? Never done it. I probably will never do it. Well, no, I don't want to say we'll never do it, but I don't have an, a a goal to do it anytime soon. Right? How can you never been skiing? That's interesting. I grew up in the city, man. You got to go two hours to get to the nearest ski hill. That's not really that far. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, my yeah. number one is <laughs> my number one is sledding. So, oh, my dude, sledding is easily the number one. That is fun. Yeah. Shit. Yeah. And and because it's you can do so many things and you don't have to be a specific. You don't have to be athletic. You don't have to know how to balance yourself. You can just get on a a saucer and go down a hill. The literally the only requirement for sledding is to have a sled and for gravity to exist. Do you have any good sledding stories? What's your best sledding um, story? My best sledding story is probably the time that um, my five-year-old son was going down a hill here in Washington. And Washington's got some, like, if you've ever been to Washington, Washington's mountains are pretty steep. And so my son is going down a hill, a big hill, where a five-year-old probably should not have been. And there was a ditch to the side of the road. And in me trying to stop him from going too fast into said ditch, I then redirected him into fencing. And he crashed into fencing. <laughs> was it like a good impact though was it like a strong impact or was it kind of like a poof it was enough of an impact that when we got back up to the top of the hill other people said like oh is he all right like yeah he's fine <laughs> you're a bad dad yeah. i mean you're so, a great dad and the thing is is that in hindsight if i would have just let have left him alone he would have been fine because he would have hit the curve and been completely okay but instead i redirected him into a fence uh, do you have a good sledding story? Uh, I mean, the only one that really comes to mind is when I was nine or ten. We used to play this game. It was like basically, um, uh, like derby. I, I'm trying to think of a better word, but it's it was like a demo derby. As you go down the hill, you try to hit into, hit into people and knock them off their sleds. And uh, well, one time I hit my buddy Shane 
who went flying, veering off to the left, went into like a family as they were going down, which caused them to go spiraling out of control into some steps. You know, the steps that you walk up to go up the hill. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Yeah, one 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 of the little girls apparently fell off the sled, went down eleven or twelve steps, and broke an arm and a leg. Oh yeah, you're a terrible person then. Shane should have been able to uh, to control a sled. That's true, man. You're gonna come out to the sled and hill. You better be ready to roll. I, I put skiing, but like I said, I've, I've never been on it, so I can't even really talk about it. Um, tubing, but tubing's just sledding. You could say like building a snowman, but that's not really that fun when you get down to it. It's like it's all right. Cross-country skiing. It's not the worst. Like if I don't want to go to the gym, then I guess I'll go cross-country skiing. But (laughs) hey, guys, let's go a really long way on these skis. No, man. That sounds terrible. Can we go sledding? The laziness fun ratio of sledding is almost unduplicated in the rest of the world. What else can you find in something where you can have a great time and be lazy? Maybe riding a roller coaster would be the only other equivalent where you don't have to do anything, but you're just going to have a great time. <laughs> Listen, man, it depends if, if, you know, if the car wants to go for a ride or not. Okay, that's going to go ahead and do it for this episode of Profoundly Pointless. I want to thank you so much for joining us. If you get a chance, please leave a review, like, download, subscribe, share. We really appreciate it. It really helps us out. Would love to know what you think are some of the best snow activities. Sledding is hard to beat. But I, I got to agree with John a little bit. Should have put in snowmobiling in my top five. No activities. Sledding is hard to beat. But I, I got to agree with John a little bit. Should have put in snowmobiling in my top five. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.